Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Normally, the Take John Crew records new episodes on Mondays, but with the long Memorial Day weekend, we decided to take a hiatus and we'll be back to you with a new episode next week. We didn't, however, want to just leave you with nothing to listen to, so we chopped up a few clips from some of our favorite episodes, and we're dropping the best of the Tech John for you this week. Hope you enjoyed your holiday, and we'll be back to you in one week's time. Folks who are listening to us want to let you know that uh, we also do a live stream and an after party after each show. And you can get access to those benefits by heading over to www.patreon.com forward slash the tech John and any of our tiers that we have set up over there. I believe we have three or four of them. Um, if you sign up to one of those and you know support the show, you get access to our live stream and also our after party where we always have some really, really good conversations like this, but often go deeper. So yeah, so the big thing for me, the reason that I'm interested in this and could see myself actually switching from Samsung, because I've been diehard Samsung ever since I think the S3. That was the first Samsung phone that I got. So we're going back years. Um, is the camera on this. And not just the camera. So the camera itself has some really cool features to it. Um, you know, one of them is the ability to actually, uh, you know, it's like magic erase. You can, if you take a picture and there's somebody who pops up in the background, you can just Click a button and that person is gone. Um, another really cool feature is that it actually will clear up blur on picture. So you, you've got the perfect, what you think is the perfect picture, but somebody moved right at the second you were clicking the shutter and they're blurry and you're just not able to capture that moment again. Well, you know, this, uh, you know, with this new tensor processor, they're able to actually go in and, and change some of that. So those are really cool things. The thing that got me, um, is, uh, you know, as you said, is, is the real tone and real tone. Essentially, this is what, uh, um, what Google did. They went out and they worked with producers and artists and, you know, cinematographers. And they looked at a lot of people who deal with darker skin tones and they built this into the OS. They built this into, you know, you know, the processor and they make it so that when you take pictures of people with darker skin tones, when they're next to people who have very light skin tones, we don't look like Ashy Larry all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, no, so I was actually watching. I'm an iOS guy. I'm an iPhone guy, but I actually watched the uh, Google six, Google Pixel six and six Pro announcement, and they were talking to some of these people that Rob mentioned, black folks, and they mentioned in the video, it's like you know, when we look at a picture, you know, we don't want to look washed out, we don't want right. to look bland, we don't want to look ashy. Right. So, uh, <laughs> I thought that was funny simply because that type of 
comment, that sort of dialogue, that sort of uh, detail is something that is important to us. That's right. You know, and the fact that Google was willing to and then actually produced something as a result of working with people who voices aren't always heard. I thought that was pretty dope. Absolutely. It's it's funny. Um uh, I don't know if it was the Wired review. The Wired review was super thorough, um, but I think I was looking at something else on my phone. I can't remember, but the woman had taken multiple pictures with an iPhone 13 Pro, um, a Samsung 21, S21, and the, the Pixel Pro, and and the pictures were better. I mean, by and large. I mean, there were some when I was like, actually, you know, the, the Apple looks a little bit better there or whatever, but by and large, it was in 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 same difference um in the the coloring the brightness the you know everything it, it really made a huge huge difference so i got to give it up to google for for that feature. so i want to take a, a second to explain because we know we have listeners uh, you know on this show who are fair complected and they may not understand what the issues are because we've just this is just how it's always been and we've had to just deal with it but when you think about when you think about photography since its inception, it's basically been a Western, you know, a Western world thing. It has been, you know, you know, all the technology has been tuned for well over a hundred years and to white skin tones, to, you uh-huh. know, to whiteness. Brightness. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. So, um, when you take pictures, um, when you have set for one skin tone, um, and then you're using that, those same settings on our skin tones, you're just not going to get the same results. And, Companies have had the opportunity to deal with this, you know, years for years. For years, years. But they, they really, they, they really have, and they do, but they kind of do it in post. So you got to take right. the picture and you got to upload it into this whatever triple fat goose software right. in order to, you know, adjust the correction, do all that color correction. But you can do this on the phone without having to go through all that. Right. So that, that, this is, it really is a big deal because this is just something you can't, you can't turn it off. And if you guys remember, so I know you guys remember, but our first episode, our episode zero, where we were talking about algorithms and, um, Mm -hmm. and just why they're not filling us. This is one of the areas where we're not, where we're not felt. And Google is now, now they, they had some issues. You know, I think was it 2015, 2016? They actually had the issue where they respond to that. Right. So yeah, back, you know, a little while back, they had an issue where they were identifying in Google photos, black people as gorillas. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, it was the they software that was doing correct. it. And they, they said, we correct. are going to do better on this. You know, they, they've absolutely said this. So, you know, as I'm reading all the articles about real tone, they actually have done better. They, they've been working on this going back since before 2020 with this to where, you know, one of the first things they did was they started loading up significantly more diverse data sets. And when I say diverse, I mean black. They, they're putting black and people it, and brown people. And the thing, it's, just like, it's such a, I hate to cut you off, but it's such a small thing. Yeah. Just you do it anyway. Data. Just right. get better. The data exists. It's out there. Just get better data to train your systems and your AI. I, don't, I just don't, it, it's almost like obstinance at this point. Right. Like they just, you know, other companies are just like, no, we don't want to do it. Like it, it's not even a thing that is is hard. Just use more data. Like, come on. <laughs> so um, the, the pictures, I mean, they're coming out great. Uh, we can always say this really about good. Google um, with their pixel line. They've always put their foot into the camera. They, they, they really have. 
Um, and it seems like sometimes they even have less on the camera and able to do more with it because of the software. And I think that that's part of what's happening here with, uh, this, uh, you know, with this tensor, uh, processor chipset. But, uh, yeah, like I think this they is also decided that the camera was going to be the selling feature. I think Google mm-hmm. knew they weren't going to get with Apple on, you know, speed or so like, like all that other stuff, like OS in general, like I think Apple just has a lock on OS. I mean, no disrespect to Android, but, Mm -hmm. but that OS is, is butter, you know what I mean? And, and so I think Google knew they were going to have to differentiate themselves some way and they just drilled down and went ham and hard on their camera. And they've been doing that on the pixels since the beginning. Um, and, and this one is like this, this, phone i was like i ain't getting the android phone but if i was to get an android phone it would probably be a pixel which so which brings up the question rob uh you said you were a samsung fan since all the way back in the day Mm -hmm. now google uh which the company who creates android that's going to give you in theory a better a more seamless experience from the word go Versus Samsung has had its history when it comes to updates, when it comes to the ecosystem, when it comes to all of the things that people love iPhones for. Since they have pretty much nailed it uh, with all of these features on these Google Google Pixel 6 and the 6 Pro, why wouldn't you switch over to Google and ditch Samsung? So what you, what you going I, I'm, I'm going to say what I've been telling other people. So I put out on Twitter. How did I say it? I was like, you know, um, this Pixel 6 is calling me, man. It'd be calling me and I might just have to go it's to like it. Pookie. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I went pookie on this. So I might actually switch. Let's start at the let's start at the beginning. You know, let's go back to the basics. Explain it to me like I'm five. Yes. Um, crypto blockchain Bitcoin. Let's kind of sort of set the mm. foundation for for those three things. So let's start with, in order to really understand crypto, I always start with just what is money. I feel like a lot of times my education about finances and money has really come despite my 52 years on this planet. Thanks, Forbes, for letting people know all my business, but it's (laughs) out there, right? So no cracks detected, so I'm proud. I'll lean into it. Um, Definitely. But to understand it is to really understand value and think about centuries ago and over the centuries and millennium, there have always been different ways to transact value, both within a community and outside of a community, particularly if you didn't know the folks outside of your community. Mm -hmm. If it's tight and you're making shoes and I'm making clothes and someone has a five and dime at the corner, right? They have the corner store. Sometimes you all know each other in a very small area and it's easy to um, transfer value even when it's not technically money. You say, uh, I make shoes and you raise chickens and we're going to exchange and we're going to be able to survive that way. Outside of your community, when you don't have trust, that's how a monetary system even developed because not everybody was trading shoes for chickens, right? And you had to be able to um, interact in terms of commerce with other groups. And think about all the different ways that we've transacted value. Um, shells, salt, sugar, and sugar cane, unfortunately, people. So there have always been different representations of value over time. 
But what we saw um, governments do is to really create their own type of currencies that they issue really to fight wars. (laughs) Taxing really goes into wars and a lot of different things. But cryptocurrency is another way to transact uh, value outside of a government structure. That doesn't mean it is illegal. But it is an alternative form. If you and I agree that you're going to give me some of your fly glasses for um, some graphic T-shirts, then we could do that. It's not illegal. It's just not government issued money, also known as fiat. So crypto at a high level, that's just another way to exchange value. But it's not issued by a government um, and it's not controlled by private entities. I heard you all talking about private entities before we even hopped on. Um, and so uh That's how you think about crypto. Bitcoin is the OG in the space. It was launched in 2009. It's the first type of cryptocurrency. There were other um, digital assets that came before Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is a a game changer because it used a special type of encryption called cryptography, which is where the crypto comes from for cryptocurrencies. And it's a way to secure the money so that you can't, you can only spend it once. So think about... um, at the end of the 90s and the early 2000s, like Napster and Grokster and BitTorrent, which is still around, but a lot of those others weren't. That peer-to-peer technology allowed us to send an MP3 file to a thousand of our not-so-closest friends, but we still had the original. You can't do that with digital money, and obviously that would be very dangerous if you were able to do so. Right. And, and cryptography has a way of avoiding that. So it's a really secure way to transact value without being in a certain country in order to do so. And it's just making it better, faster, and cheaper for you to buy things and for you to trade, for you to exchange, for you to do um, money transmission around the world. So that that's crypto and, and Bitcoin. And then final point about blockchain, think of blockchain as um, a record that is shared by multiple people. Like think of a group text. Even if you delete a group text off of your phone, as long as one person still has the record of your communications on their phone, it still exists. And we're not really talking about the, 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 um, you know, like the phone companies, that's a whole other thing. But just think if the five of us, excuse me, the four of us were texting and I deleted off of my phone, you three still have it on your phones. Mm-hmm. That's a permanent record that makes it more difficult to destroy. And so, you know, extrapolate that to millions of computers maintaining a record. So it's not centralized with any one party. It's not a Facebook thing. It's not a government thing. It's a thing that is uh, maintained by this network of computers. And you actually don't have to do that in order to hold Bitcoin. It's just another aspect of the network that allows computers to maintain that single source of the, the, the transactions and the balances at any given time. That's all it is. It's a digital record that is controlled by a network as opposed to one entity, um, or one corporation, one, one government. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I like the group chat analogy because I've been, I read. You can see it, right? Yeah. It's like I, I, I keep reading articles. What is Bitcoin? And in the moment that I'm reading it, I understand it perfectly, but then, I right. click away from that that tab and it's like what is, what is blockchain again? Um so yeah that idea right. of of the uh of the group chat because I hate group chats so I'll never forget that. Um the idea of the Exactly. Group chat, <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I, I like that. Okay, so we got crypto. And one other thing is that let me say this one other thing when people say blockchain it's as if it's one thing. There are thousands 
of blockchains and you start to think of it as, um, you know, you have the internet, but a lot of times you also have intranets and other people who control things within. And so Bitcoin has its own blockchain. Ethereum, the, the second by market, um, market capitalization, Ethereum or Ether, it has its own blockchain. There are some uh, digital currencies that are recorded, their transactions and balances are recorded on an existing blockchain. And then there are some where there's a native coin. So that's the difference between a coin and a token. A lot of people don't use the terms properly. So sometimes people will say token and coin interchangeably. But the real definition, if there's a token that doesn't have its own record, and so it is bringing its transactions and balances to an existing blockchain. Um, and, and so that's a slight difference. But Block, Bitcoin blockchain was the first. Um, there are over 13,000 different types of cryptocurrencies right now. We could make one right now just with a, a short string of software code and we could create, look, we could create the tech John coin if that's Listen, what you all want to do. We need we to can, get we can work we on have that. our own coin. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Let's go. And then, how would we make that worth something? Is it basically worth something because <laughs> people believe it's worth something? Is that kind of the gist? I or love you, the question. How do you make that worth something? Absolutely. And that's the right question to ask, too. And p- that's probably the number two question. Number one question is always, if is it legal? The number two question is, where does it get its value? And it is driven by the same market principles as a lot of, of value, supply and demand. Um, think about the dollar as well. And I always turn that question back on people for it hasn't the, the United States dollar um, has not been backed by gold for decades. So what is really backing the dollar? It's not even fully collateralized. If we all went to the bank to pull out our dollars, everybody ain't getting their dollars. I don't care what type of FDIC insurance is involved. So um, it's the, full, you know, on the, the USD side, it's the full faith and credit of the government. On the crypto side, it is driven by supply and demand. You've seen a lot of these wacky meme coins that have hit. Oh, I don't want to, you know, disrespect anybody. These very interesting meme coins like Doge, Doge. which does actually have value. I think it's like at 28 cents or something like that. Uh, you have a follow on meme coin, the Shiba Inu, that's yeah. not even worth a penny, but some people held a whole bunch of them. And as the price pumped and dumped, a lot of people made some money and a lot more people got left holding the bag when it goes up and goes down very quickly. So that's the supply and demand thing. And one of the beauties of the cryptocurrency ecosystem is that it is driven by community, which actually Mm -hmm. is a very exciting feature of it. Interesting. Yeah, I I, I can see that, but community is so fickle. Mm. But I guess that's life. You, you you take the risk. So you talked about the idea of the difference between a coin and a token. So an mm. NFT is a non-fungible token, right? And so now mm-hmm. where does that co- where does that come in? If that's not backed on its own blockchain, um, by your definition, um, where does it get backed? And then how does that exist on the internet? Well, explain what an NFT is. I'm just running my mouth. Um, and then talk about how it, um, can exist on an internet when everything is so readily available for download. And, and people can screen capture and people can just, you know, figure out their own ways to download that asset. You know, mm-hmm. how does an NFT remain an NFT when anybody with an internet connection and can have it? 
Great questions. So a non, in order to talk about what a non-fungible token is, let's talk about what fungibility is or what, what it means to be fungible. Fungibility is interchangeability. And I'll use currency as another example. It doesn't matter which dollar bill I have, even though they technically have a serial number on them. It's, it's the dollar is the dollar. It holds the same value. They're interchangeable. A non-fungible token is unique. And also it is verifiably unique because of the, the technology, the software protocols. So it makes it really interesting to represent a unique asset in the same way that you could represent, um, at, before, before I go there, let me say that. So that's fungibility and non-fungibility. Okay. A non-fungible token is actually not the creativity, but it is ability to represent your ownership of some other Thing. So the non-fungible token asset, and we've heard a lot about it in the creative community or collectible community, the creativity or the collectible is referenced in the software um, code, but it is not in the NFT. The NFT is its own separate asset. NFTs are recorded to a blockchain and it depends on the type of NFT. The first um, platform or, or, or network to support NFTs is the Ethereum virtual machine. And uh, the Ethereum network is a little bit different than the, than the Bitcoin blockchain because Bitcoin was really meant to just manage uh, transactions of value without running pieces of, of, of code to do something different. The Ethereum network runs like a virtual computer. The whole, um, I'll use a jargony term, unfortunately, we'll get away from it. The layer one of the Ethereum virtual machine was created to be, to operate like an operating system of your phone or of a laptop meant to build other things, decentralized applications, uh, smart contract code, non-fungible tokens. And so the Ethereum network was the first to support it. You have others now that are actually more efficient they might be less of um, Solana is another really interesting one. You know, of NBA Top Shot that basically did its own thing. So it's not on Ethereum or Solana or any of, any of them. They created their own blockchain to leverage their own IP. Now to Brother Tech's question, it's an important one to say, oh, well, let me, let me go with this. So he asks, if you can see an image online, what is the point of representing that you have ownership and control? It's the same thing of me driving up and down Beverly Hills and I could take pictures of a house. That's very lovely. I don't own the house. Mm-hmm. My ability to exercise ownership and control over that house is because I have a deed. So think of a non-fungible token as the deed. So now, is a that lot like, of people can do me, a lot of things let me, to. Let me jump in there. So is it, could you also sort of make the connection between having the original painting and a print. So if, if I have, if I have, if I own the NFT, if, if I have an NFT of, you know, the, because I, I I remember posting about the little girl um, that was in front of the fire, that meme of that little girl smirking in front of the fire, like she sold that for $50,000. And so basically, you know, if, if there had been an original painting of that, I would technically own that and then whoever maybe still has that meme on their phone or you know in in some whatever they have what what would amount to a print of it is that a fair comparison yes it is and take it even a step further that you have a mug that has a picture of the mona lisa instead of the mona lisa right right it's like yeah and if that's all you want great you have a a mug with a picture 
of the Mona Lisa or when you're using the reference to a, a really cool uh, meme or GIF that's out there as well. And a lot of people can access it. But there's the difference of ownership and, and really as a matter of empowerment, economic empowerment, financial inclusion, both on the crypto side and the non-fungible token side. It's all about ownership in, in, in this new Web 3.0 world, all the metaverses and everything. If you don't own things in the next wave of this Internet, you are already behind. And that's mm-hmm. why we have a great advantage of, as black and brown people to, to do this in a way we've not done before. Um, that all being said, uh, y'all, we have to, you know, get into a little bit of tech. And- you know, I just I just downloaded TikTok for the first time. Like this past week, because my daughter's turning 14, I'm like, let me see what she's doing. Um, so I had to go and download a security right. account and she was my first. I'm following you now. Be so. careful. Right. Be careful because it's, it's you will addictive. lose an hour and not even realize you where will. it went. It is, it is very easily addictive. It's, it's a rabbit hole. It's a, it's a <laughs> crazy rabbit hole. So, uh, so anyway, TikTok, they have increased. They have they have increased their uh, allotted time for videos. I think they've gone up from three minutes. They've more than tripled it going up to 10 minutes. So the question is, are they trying to are they trying to edge out YouTube? What do you think? What say you? Uh, I mean, I think they're you know, they're definitely I think they're taking that that watch time model um, that YouTube uses to monetize a lot of his content to, to try to get more. I mean, if you have a longer video and, and more people and somebody watches it for a longer amount of time, there's more opportunities to drop ads in the video along the, along that 10 minute track. But um, so it, it's just about the money, but um, they're not monetizing their videos and their ad content the same way YouTube it YouTube is. So it you know, I don't know if that they're going to be very successful with it for that. I know I don't watch very many three minute TikTok videos right now. It has to be a super, super engaging three minute video to make me stay for the whole three minutes. I usually get through about 60 seconds. That's about my limit. So um, the likelihood that I'm going to sit and watch a 10 minute video is very, very small. Um, yeah. So the ad thing was one that I was like, well, I don't know if they can compete directly. Um, but on the flip side, you know, a lot of the content that I've seen or the, that I particularly watch on YouTube is podcasts right? or, you know, people doing the video version of their podcasts. Uh, a lot of podcasters probably flock to YouTube because of the long form content. I was thinking maybe TikTok is like, all right, well, we're not going to go after podcasters, but think of all the, um, people where you do like interviews, one or two person interviews, you know, you go on TikTok, Instagram kind of does, you go live on Instagram, you can tag somebody and then you can do kind of like the back and forth. Uh, I'm pretty sure those last longer than a minute, 90 seconds. So maybe this 10 minute thing is TikTok saying, okay, well, we're not going to go after podcasters, but we do want people to have a more engaged conversation. Maybe they want to interview somebody and maybe 10 minutes is enough. You know what I thought? Um, I, as I was thinking this through, I was like, it might not even be YouTube they're, they're going after because I don't feel like longer form content really lends itself to vertical video, except in the case of Quibi. Quibi was, was the ish. You know, I, I actually really enjoyed Quibi while it was here. For anybody mm-hmm. that doesn't know, Quibi was a, a streaming platform 
a la like Netflix, but it was all original content, but it was designed to be consumed vertically. So mm-hmm. they, they shot these little mini episodes that were no more than eight minutes long, you know, six mm-hmm. to eight minutes long. Um, there was a really good documentary series about LeBron James promise school in Ohio. There was comedies. There were podcasts. Like it was, it was good content. It was very good, highly produced it was content. Very good content. And I feel like I could see TikTok going in that direction with these videos because I can't see any other reason I would watch a 10 minute vertical video unless it was going to be some some very highly produced content. Right. So, right. so you're in my head, Stephanie, because that's I was even going to say Quibi. Um, we did not have that in the note. So we both came to that independently. So I was going to mm-hmm. say uh, they might have some room there. And um, for I a couple of do. reasons, I think they have room. Quibi had the issue that they came out, had the content. They didn't have the people. They, they they were trying to build the people. And that type of content is very expensive. And they just weren't able to keep up with it. TikTok mm-hmm. already has the people. It's already the right. number one uh, most visited website on the Internet. So people are that's not an issue. So if they get the right type of content out there, they probably can make that work. Um, yep. But I think that they are probably um, you know, going after YouTube is, is a is a strong statement. I don't want to say that they're going after YouTube, but I won't be shocked. If the 10 minute stuff works, if they actually give you the ability to turn your phone sideways and start actually doing video, uh, in uh, landscape mode or it would, even, it would have to be. Yeah. um, you know, or even doing that because the reason is that, as I said, you know, I think it was last year, the first time it was in February that they actually surpassed, uh, Google. And then it was like they were in front of Google consistently, at, you know, by August and, you know, ended up being the number one site in the, uh, in the world last year. Um, it, that's all generally on 60 to three, you know, 60 second to three minute videos. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, one of the things that they have, that they're saying is that a lot of the stars, a lot of the TikTok stars, they have to go to other places to do longer form content. And a lot of them are. So it's like, you, so we have mm-hmm. you here and you've built up this platform, but because we're not offering you the ability to do vlog style content, you now have to go to our biggest competitor. Why not? set it up so that you can actually create that content here. So my, my questions um, that I would see coming from, you know, from, uh, you know, from TikTok, would they give another channel? Would they give another, you know, another way to go look at this? TikTok premium where Mm -hmm. you add, you, you add another little subscription level for this longer content. Cause you, you're, you're going to lose so many people if you insert these long videos into folks' feet, I don't want to see them. I mean, you're going to see that scroll rate go, you know, no one's going to watch in feed 10 minute videos on TikTok. That, that's just not what I go to that platform for. And I don't know that they're going to be able to change a billion people's minds about why they go to that platform to consume content, but a TikTok premium with, with Quibi like quality content, um, that, that could work. That could work. Uh, I would push back against the only thing um, TikTok going towards trying to get people to do the uh, long, not long form, but the vertical horizontal video or vertical. Is it horizontal? horizontal. They're doing vertical now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is long gone. I can't remember a time. I just gave up <laughs> on telling people, turn your phone sideways so you can get 16 by nine. I know that's yeah. how TVs are. But most people are not watching video 
on their TVs anymore. Most people are sticking to the phone and they're taking pictures, you know, horizontal. So I can see, um, I, I would push back on the idea that TikTok is going to figure out to get people to do not only longer form content, but do like 16 the, by nine the 16 by nine yeah. version. Cause I think that's, that's long gone. I think everybody's watching pictures. Yes. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's gone for mobile. And that was the, yeah. that was Quibi's model because they, they launched right before the pandemic. And their mm-hmm. whole idea was that this is what people will watch while they're on the train, on the way to work or on the bus or mm-hmm. in transit mm-hmm. somewhere. They'll watch this and they, and that's how people consume videos vertically. So, um, you know, <laughs> COVID kind of put the kibosh on that. But I agree that, you know, mobile first is, is not going to be some 16 by nine, you know, even though I do still turn my phone to watch YouTube videos and stuff like that. I don't think TikTok is going to be able to make that work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. So, um, they're, they're testing because I know they had in beta, they were doing five minutes. They actually released 10 minutes. Um, so they want to see. So as at I said, the end of the day, they're going to need to pay their creators better if they think they're going to get any of this kind of that, content. That is a whole so different so that's, conversation. They're going to have to pay their creators better because YouTube is given a 60 40 split at the moment and TikTok is nowhere near that. Uh-huh. So you're not getting creators to, to put come off YouTube. Right. And to put mm-hmm. the effort into creating a 10 minute, like it sounds like a, a little bit, 10 minutes, but a 10 well, minute video is a lot of content and effort. So to get me to create that much content for you on a regular consistent basis, mm-hmm. you will have to come up off some cash. And see, so that's, that's another good point because I wasn't thinking that they were trying necessarily to get people to come from YouTube and do stuff over here. I think that they're trying to keep people that are over here from going over to YouTube and doing stuff there. Just trying to keep you inside of their garden as compared to, well, if I want to do a vlog, I have to go to YouTube or I have to go to, uh, you know, Vimeo or I've got to go to Facebook or some of these other platforms. I'd argue most people on TikTok have YouTube channel. Like if you're, if you're like a legit content creator, you already have a YouTube channel anyway. So they weren't, they weren't ever, YouTube was never in danger of losing, you know what I mean? Creators because of TikTok. I think TikTok became this platform that YouTube creators could go to. I think they were though because you know if you remember I think it was back in September October of 2020 that's when uh YouTube launched their shorts. Mm-hmm. And shorts compared to TikTok was pretty horrible initially. But it keeps getting better and better and better. And what I'm starting to see is a lot of YouTube creators, like it's just easier just to do it here than to do it on TikTok or the stuff that I'll make here. I'll also put on TikTok, but they're now purposely making these shorts for YouTube just because they're already there and they're actually creating separate channels so that they'll have the long, longer form content in one channel and then they'll have their shorts Mm -hmm. in another channel just so that they're not, you know, jacking up their uh, algorithm um, and and their reach and all that kind of stuff. Watch time, all those metrics. So that's what has me thinking. It's like, okay, well, YouTube, you made, you know, you started making this move a couple years ago. Now, okay, now here's our move. We're going to, we're going to move more into your area and just, you right. know, and like I said, because. I mean, I, yeah, it's definitely that, that back and forth competition that they all just cannibalize each other's best features. Um, but I, 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 I would still say YouTube is probably pretty safe. Mm. At this point, so I, I, I will wrap this segment up with this. Terrence, just be very careful because you'll get up, look at that TikTok, <laughs> and you think you've been on there for five or six minutes, and then you look at your watch, and it's like I've been it's on here for forty-five hole. minutes. You just don't realize how long you it have been watching, and it is well, their so, algorithm is so good at matching up stuff that is <laughs> just well, you know candy and butterflies for you. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So I'm just going to read her bio really quickly. Welcome to Afua Bruce. We are so happy to have you here. Um, Afua Bruce is a leading public interest technologist. Am I saying that correctly? First of all, okay. Um, public interest. I, I, and I, we talked and I'm like, I should have asked you when we actually had a whole conversation. Um, but yeah, is I would have corrected you. Don't worry. <laughs> leading public interest technologist who has spent her career working at the intersection of technology, policy, and society. Her work has spanned the government, nonprofit, private, and academic sectors as she has held my printer got jacked up a little bit. I'm so sorry. Senior science and technology positions at the White House, the FBI, IBM, and a couple of nonprofits. As an if-then ambassador, Afua engages in efforts to excite girls to consider STEM careers. Yay. She has partnered with Goldie Blocks, appeared on CBS's Mission Unstoppable TV show, and is one of 120 statues of women in STEM in the if-then exhibit that was on display at the Smithsonian. And I would love to talk a little bit more about that when I get done. Here, Afua has her bachelor's degree in computer engineering as well as an MBA, and is currently a technology and public purpose fellow in the Harvard Kennedy School. Her newest book, "The Tech That Comes Next," is uh, how changemakers, technologists, and philanthropists can build an equitable world. Describes how technology can advance equity. Afua Bruce, welcome to the Tech John. We are so happy to have you here. Talk about your experience as a black woman and all of the interaction that you had that kind of got you or helped you or molded you or whatever the case may be to get you into being a advocate for getting black women into technology. Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely like to focus on the positives. The negatives are are well documented generally and definitely in my life and in my own experience. Um, but I, I've just been so fortunate to have a number of mentors in my life. And, um, when I was at IBM, I remember talking to this black woman, my, you know, probably second year there as a full-time employee. And she mentioned something about, think of like a personal board of directors. And that really became how I started to manage, uh, my mentoring relationships and really thinking about having a lot of people to give me advice. And a lot of people to tell me to like get back in line in some cases, and a lot of people to help me really um, imagine more for myself and to think more and to really go after bigger things. And um, by having you know a number of mentors, it meant that I I don't have one. Some people have one mentor who they just go to all the time, and I have that. I have you know little that I go to, you know 
about this topic, I'll reach out to this person about this other topic, I'll reach out to this other person, and so on. And that's just been really helpful. I think back to give you an example to my um, just my decision to go to grad school and to get an MBA specifically. Uh, when I joined IBM, IBM was paying for engineers to get MBAs. And so I thought it was a great idea. And then by the time I was ready to apply, they had stopped paying for engineers to get MBAs. And there was a, um, a master's of science in technology commercialization degree or something um, that's there. And it's a perfectly fine degree. I like, seriously you know, pivoted so that I could get my graduate school paid for because I had a lot of student loans from undergrad. Um, and, you know, I'd been talking to my mentor and he was really pushing me to think about getting an MBA instead. I was like, I just don't know how I could do the money. I don't know how I could do this. And he's like, well, just take the GMAT. Took the GMAT, um, ended up doing really, really well on it. Um, really well. And I told him the score and he was just like, that is free scholarship money. <laughs> like, why would you shortchange yourself? And I was like, I don't know that I could apply for a scholarship. And he was like, what are you doing with your life of food? Oh, wow. And ended up getting a, a scholarship to Michigan. But even with that, I was like, it's just so far. I live in Texas now. I like my Texas life. I don't know that I want to uproot. And I was like, I don't even know that I want to visit it. It costs a lot of money to fly to Michigan from Texas to visit. And so many excuses. And I just remember he and his wife were like, we will pay for you to go oh, visit okay. Michigan. Oh, that's a heck of a minute right there. Listen, <laughs> yeah, right? And I ended up not taking the money, but just having someone who believed in me so much that it was like, you need to explore this for yourself. You need to figure out if you need to know that you can do this because we believe in you that you can do this. And I just go back to that so often. Um, you know, changing my career. Would I still have been recruited by the FBI if I'd stayed in Michigan? If I hadn't got the MBA, probably not. It'd have a different trajectory completely. Um but, uh, you know, mentors like that, who could just really speak into me and just really help me see more for myself. And in some cases, just a fool, you're not cutting it right now. You need to get your life together. There's, there's right. a lot of that as well. Um, and so, um, mentoring has just been so important to me. Okay. So it sounds like support system. It's kind of like what helped you. Cause you, you mentioned that you've had some experiences that wasn't all too positive. You know, as it relates to being a black woman in tech, but you're still an advocate because it sounds like support system. You know, I think a lot of black folks, we tend to go it alone, you know, and maybe just not assume either assume that there are, are no mentors or two assume that like I ain't trying to take up nobody's time with my problems when you as a fellow, you know, person in tech. You got your own problems. So the last thing you want to do is, you know, help me with mine. Right. You know, but I think support system is what you know, kind of gave you a favorable outlook. Am I correct? Yes, absolutely. It, okay. It's made all the difference. Okay. Critical. It's a critical thing. So we got to talk about the book. I was just about to say. We got to talk about the book. So I, wow. I've, I've started reading it. You know, I, I, I'm into it. I'm kind of flipping through some pages. I did finish the first chapter and then I just kind of started skimming some pages. The one thing I found um, that sort of struck me the most is that for a book about technology, um, it really takes a very human centered approach and has a very humanistic, um, kind of tone to it. Um, was that the intention going in? And if so, why was that important to you? Yeah, absolutely. I am glad that's what came across because that was definitely our intention going 
into writing the book. My co-author and I, um, you know, I, you've heard my background. My co-author leads an organization called N10, which is one of the not largest nonprofit tech um, nonprofits in the country. And, you know, so we spend a lot of time thinking about technology and how to use it for it, positive impact. Um, and just recognize that in a lot of cases, we need to sort of change our relationship with technology. And so that really means we're starting with the people involved. And so we wanted to write a book that, yes, talked about technology development and got into, not into the weeds, but into enough of a framework about how to do technology development differently, but also recognizing that part of using technology in a more equitable way means that non-technologists as well can converse about technology. And so we wanted to write a book that you didn't need to be a technology expert in order to understand it. And then secondly, um, back to my point earlier in that, you know, we sort of live in this world that we've designed. Um, we don't always, people who develop technology, including myself sometimes, don't always think about specific people when you're creating the technology and sort of right. what's the purpose of this technology? What are people going to use it for? What could people misuse it for? And so in order to get that mindset, really, again, you should really think about who are the humans that are going to be affected by this technology? What's the community impact going to be when you roll out a new technology? Or what community does it, or what technology does a community want and want to advocate for themselves? And so that, that all comes back to people. So let's get to our, uh, let's get to our main story. Um, and we, we can spend a little bit of time on this, but is the digital divide literally killing folks? And, Stephanie, before I read the supporting articles, mm-hmm. I kind of thought it's like, yeah, probably. I, I can think of many <laughs> yeah. ways why why it would. And it's like the things that I were thinking kind of line up what's you know, what's in this story. So I'll let you go ahead and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and give the backstory on this. But this this was a really interesting one because, yeah, I think I think it actually is. It, it, it's crazy because, you know, it, it's it's abysmal that we keep having this conversation in, you know, this first world country that we live in. Um, but there was a, a study recently um, put out by the JAMA network uh, that basically says, you know, people without Internet access are more likely to die from COVID than people with Internet access. So um, statistically, there is a for every one percent decrease in Internet access in an area, um, there are two point four more deaths per one hundred thousand people in rural areas. And for every one percent decrease in Internet access in urban areas and suburban areas, there is a uh, there are six more deaths per 100,000 people um, who don't have access. And and the, the startling thing about this was that they could find that correlation, but also that it didn't matter whether it was rural, urban, suburban, mm-hmm. like like there were a lot of other factors that didn't even really matter um, in this, you know, obviously pre-existing health conditions and there's like a whole bunch of other environmental fact and health factors that um, go into why somebody may die from COVID. But, um, but this was something that, that stood out as another one of those factors um, that you had to take into account when, when thinking about COVID deaths. So um, it, it's just, it's just another, you know, um, 
kind of example or 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 uh, confirmation that America is, you know, uh, what do they say, the ghetto and a Gucci belt or something, something about a Gucci. <laughs> like we like we really don't focus on the things we need to focus. We worried about the wrong shit here in this country, honestly, and and um. You know, right now, or at least as of 2020, I believe America was 27 out of 30 uh, in broadband access for the 30 most developed countries in the world um, that have broadband access. America's 27 out of 30. So we're at mm. the bottom of the pile. You know, we, we stay near the bottom or at least far out of the top 10 and speed broadband speeds, um, that are accessible by people. Um, and, and, and we've already seen how the digital divide affects like everything from education to jobs to healthcare to, you know, just the political process, political right. process, like mm-hmm. literally everything. And, and, and now, you know, that not having the internet can kill you. Yep. Yep. Because, uh, you know, I think one of, which is crazy that we're towards the bottom in broadband access, but we are one of the countries that's always trying to make things easier, you know, which thing, which I mean, it makes sense. You know, if we're going to COVID-19, is something that was pushed on us quick, fast, in a hurry. So a lot of people scrambled to do things. And it's like this uh, article mentions like uh, food pantry signups, vaccine availability, safety information. All that stuff was online. Go to this link. Go to this website. Right. You know, you couldn't go to the doctor's address. office, so you had to do a telehealth visit. Telehealth, if you don't have no right. internet, you ain't doing no telehealth visit, so you, right. can't, you can't see your mm-hmm. doctor. Right. So making trying to make it easier to access things for the sake of health, i.e. COVID-19, really is almost a moot point when we are at the bottom when it comes to Internet access, when it comes to the digital divide. It's like, how are you going to do one thing but not even have the compatibility to actually access the things you're trying to make easier? Exactly. So you got to you can't put the cart before the horse, I guess. Like exactly. The term. So yeah, there, there's there's all of that stuff. But I think you can even go more basic than that. Um, it is a lot easier to withstand a pandemic when you have to stay home if you have Internet access. And you can play games all day and right. you can talk to everybody that you used you to talk to. But you physically family phys- over Zoom. Exactly. You can do all that kind of stuff. But when you don't have uh, the Internet connectivity, just the interaction. So, you know, um, you know, like from a mental health standpoint, you know, mm-hmm. just being I'm bummed out. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. I see nobody. I talk to no one. Um, the Internet goes a long way to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, I can't. I mean, you the amount of time that I spent on, you know, even FaceTime, because I would have to grab a, uh, you know, an iPad and do FaceTime with some folks, but just doing Zoom calls and Google Hangouts and, and Google Meet hours. and all that of that like kind of stuff. Deal. Exactly. I mean, it was, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of hours have been spent doing this where it wouldn't have been done ordinarily, uh, you know, before. And if you don't have Internet access, you're doing none of that. And, you know, to your point, Terrence, it's like if you don't know, uh, if you don't have the Internet connectivity to know, here's where I can go and get this test or here's where I can go do these kind right. of things. You're just kind of missing out on so much uh, by not being connected. So I really think um, that we have to in this country start looking at 
internet connectivity, looking at broadband access as a basic service. I mean, it should be, you know, it should it's be looked at like water and sewage, trash yeah, pickup, electricity. Exactly. Um, but capitalism. I'll, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I will talk on both say. sides of my mouth. I think that it needs to be that. I, I am, I am not for that kind of regulation because I just think that when it comes to like the internet and it comes to computers, the government is just so slow at getting things done that we will be missing out on stuff just because they can't move fast enough. But that being but said, the, the government right. does actually do quite well with regulating some things. Like, you know, I, I, I'm very happy that I can actually take trash to the street and it just magically disappears every week. Uh, those are, mm-hmm. those are good things. And, and that, that is a government thing. So um, even if they're outsourcing that to a third party. So, uh, so yeah, we, we, we've got to get better at this. And like I said, it was one of those things to where I wasn't thinking about it before I read the headline, but as soon as I read the headlines, like, Oh yeah, that, that makes sense. I can, I can think of five, six ways why this is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Broadband, uh, the FCC, uh, because back in way back in 2016, the United Nations declared broadband access a human right. They didn't put any teeth around that declaration that would hold any countries accountable for denying that right to people. Because we see that's what ha- that's what's happening in Russia right now, where people can't access Facebook and other social media. Um, but, you know, that's been on the books for a while. The FCC has has declared the internet a super determinant of health um whereas other entities have already declared broadband access as a social determinant of health uh but the FCC uh took it a step further and said it's a super determinant of health and again when you think about all the information you miss out on you know nobody's phone banking people and and calling them to make sure that they you know know about this latest information where it's like visit this website every every ad you see on television every you know uh, information flyer you get handed. There's a website at the bottom. Mm-hmm. There's a URL at the bottom for you to go to get the information. And there's still a quarter of the American public that does not have internet access. You know, that that's a lot of people. You know, it, that's a heck of a lot of people. Not, that's a lot of people that still don't have internet access. And we saw what happened over the past two years when you had kids sitting on, you know, the curb the windy out parking lot. Trying to soak up the Wi-Fi because they couldn't even do their their classwork um, because they didn't have appropriate internet access. So it 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 really is we're we're at a kind of crisis level at this point. Um, that that uh, that bill, the Build Back Better uh, bill that uh, Biden was trying to get through, that does um, have some provisions for uh, subsidies for the cost of internet access, which don't necessarily help you if you're in an urban area because if your internet bill is you know $150 and they giving you 30 I still can't afford $120 for internet right. either so there's that um, but it also um, but they were also trying to push for to your point Rob these municipally run internet service providers so um, there is something you know I don't know how far along it is in the works, but something to where we will have public internet utilities like we do have water. Um, but even yeah. still, uh, capitalism went out again. Um, I watched a um, Netflix, uh, Hassan Minhaj. He had the Patriot Act. Mm-hmm. I think he did a, a, a special mm-hmm. on internet access and he talked specifically about how the telecom companies fight tooth and nail 
They yeah. spend to, billions, uh, billions yeah. of dollars to make sure the free stuff doesn't pop up. It's like, why yeah, would we buddy. ever allow people to get stuff for free that we can charge them for? I mean, that's really what it yeah, comes buddy. down to. Yeah, so these people create mesh networks all the time in mm-hmm. in very small you know communities of of you know 100 or 200 people you you know you can create a mesh network mm-hmm. for free and and you know if everybody decided to do that uh shout out the mesh networks do google I, well if you don't have no internet you can't google mesh network and how to make uh, a mesh uh, network. no look at you look at you yeah, falling into the problem that, that is know, that is like, definitely a thing library and google mesh network and figure out how to set up a mesh network oh so yeah there, there there are a lot of municipalities that are trying Trying to do that, some are actually successfully doing that. But as Terrence was saying, these these telcos they're coming in and they're lobbying against it to make doing those things illegal um, for safety reasons and stuff. I mean, the stuff that they would come up with, and it's just like, yeah, uh, let's see this this senator or this congressperson. They have no idea what we're gonna say. So yes, yeah, it's, it's for safety reasons. Let's just tell them right. that we need to make people more safe because right. they shouldn't be getting this thing for free. That's unsafe. We should charge them for. It. That actually makes him safe. Um, and I don't, I don't want to steal his comedy segment because he, you know, it's, it's very good. Anybody should go it's see that. So it's, it's actually quite. Though. I mean, we're literally at a life and death tipping point. So um, I am. Know, and all people would need is dial up. Like, let 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 a, let a community get some dial up up in here or something. I, we did not have a spotlight last week, uh, but we got one this week. So, Stephanie, go ahead and tell us about Charlie Moore, the founder and CEO of Rocket Lawyer. So I was pretty excited about this because, I mean, I'm familiar with Rocket Lawyer. I feel like I've used Rocket Lawyer um, at some point to, like, print out a template contract or something like that. Um, I don't know that most people knew that the founder and CEO was was black. Um, and, and Charlie's doing his thing. So let's just learn a little bit about Charlie Moore. He is the founder and CEO of Rocket Lawyer Incorporated. His experience as an attorney representing startups exposed him to both the high cost and high value of great legal advice. So he started Rocket Lawyer in 2008 to deliver high value legal services at a price nearly everyone can afford. Today, Rocket Lawyer is one of the most widely used legal services in the world with operations in the United States and the United Kingdom. Charlie has been engaged in internet law and business since beginning his career as an attorney at Venture Law Group in Menlo Park, California. He represented Yahoo in their IPO, Web TV Networks that was acquired by Microsoft Microsoft and Serent Corporation that was acquired by Cisco Systems at critical early stages and was the founder of OnStation Corporation that was acquired by the Cobalt Group. Charlie graduated from the United States Military Academy. Um, excuse me. Charlie graduated from the United States Naval Academy and the University of California at Berkeley uh, is where he got his J.D., Moore grew up in the St. Louis area where he helped his dad who ran a chain of gas stations. He served as a U.S. Naval officer and is a Gulf War veteran. Charlie currently serves as chairman of the board of directors of Rocket Lawyer and on the executive board of Teach for America. In April 2021, Rocket Lawyer raised an additional $223 million in financing from an investor group led by Vista Credit Partners. As a black CEO in Silicon Valley, Moore has suffered his share of racial incidents and says he has experienced racial profiling multiple times. The killing of George Floyd further alarmed Moore, who has three sons. As a way to offer aid, Moore added the new function to Rocket Lawyer's mobile app called Rocket Ed- 
evidence. Any user can upload video footage they've taken or found that may show evidence of a crime and get a consultation with lawyers at the company. I think that is super dope. Rocket Lawyer's latest project is a partnership with Consensus, an Ethereum blockchain company and Consensus startup Open Law to accelerate the distribution of our Rocket Wallet service for trusted smart contract execution. By operating on the blockchain, Rocket Lawyer is the first mainstream legal tech company to create smarter transactions and limit the sharing of consumers' personally identifiable information to prioritize consumer privacy privacy and security shout out to charlie moore from columbus ohio i'm your host rob dunwood and coming out of philly it's your girl tech life steph and back from vacation this is terrence Gaines, aka brother tech aka one arm is darker than the other one because i was <laughs> driving to vacation one and, the and the one arm on the window and it's just, just beating 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 on my arm so i'm trying to get my skin 